It is now 11.30 here on this Tuesday, May 18th. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Time for midday. Thanks to uh, Clay Patton, who's on the road with the Kansas uh, Winter Wheat Tour. Of course, uh, along with the reports here on the Rural Voice of Nebraska, you can also follow him on Twitter or a KRVN Twitter for live updates uh, and then also uh, pictures of, of how things are looking down in the Kansas region. We'll have more of those reports coming up throughout the day. Coming up, uh, we have a lot to unpack here. Here on this Tuesday, we'll hear from Jason, who is in Omaha. Of course, uh, Lexington State Soccer thriving once again. Uh, they'll be in the state championship game coming up tomorrow. We'll hear more on that in sports. We'll also hear from him in just a minute. Also, we'll hear from Bob Broken. He'll tell us how stocks are performing here on this Tuesday. In about 15 minutes, we'll also check in with uh, Paul Perkins to tell us how much rain we could possibly see here, not only today, but in the near future. But let's head east and check with our own Susan Littlefield, who is in Lincoln. And Susan, how's the morning going for you? Hey, it's not going too bad. The sun tried to peek out a little bit, but it looks like some more rain is moving in. And I know folks are excited to hear what rain amounts we might have when we talk to Paul later. Mm-hmm. Hey, I think uh, depending where you're at, if you're in central and western regions of our listening area, you'll see some eastern Maybe not so much, but uh, that may change as the as we get further on down the week. Yeah, very much so. Well, what do you have coming up for us here on Midday? Well, we'll kick it all off with Alex here at 1219 as she talks with the IANR's Vice President and Vice Chancellor, Mike Bame, recapping the spring 2021 semester at UNL, including details on two new research centers that will be taking place. I'll come in at 1245 as we are continuing our biofuels focus and i'll be talking with john doggett he is ceo of the national corn growers association as we talk about corn growers stance and the push for ethanol today's a prime time actually in the world we're in right now to promote the benefits of what ethanol is as we continue with our cruising with renewable fuels and then clay will wrap up everything here at 117 as k-state wheat extension disease specialist discusses some of the diseases that may be encountered on the winter wheat tour as they are there in Kansas. And like you mentioned, check out Twitter. He's got some great photos that he's been sharing from this week's tour. Yeah, it looks like some uh, a good turnout down there. Uh, it's, it's also nice. I know we've talked about this before, but it's also nice, I'm sure, for you guys as well, that you're able to finally get out and about again, obviously, with uh, not being able to in the last year. It is like a giant cupcake with extra frosting and sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, he's enjoying it just like that. So, But uh, we appreciate that. We look forward to all that content coming up. Thank you very much, Susan. Sounds good. All right. Let's uh, turn things over to Jason Jorgensen from Omaha and uh, giving us a preview for sports. Hey, thanks. Well, it continues to be a busy day for high school sports across the state. District golf is wrapping up. Class A State High School Soccer Championships will be decided tonight and tomorrow. State High School Track and Field Championships open up for Classes A and D in Omaha. Also, last night was a big night here in Omaha for the Lexington Boys Soccer Team as they advanced through the state semis for the first time in school history with a 1-0 win over Mount Michael. We'll take a look back. And former Nebraska baseball coach Dave Van Horn is having quite the year down in Arkansas. Those stories and much more coming up in sports. All right, let's turn things over to Bob Rogan. How are stocks performing? Stocks have been mixed this morning, moving back and forth between gains and losses. Investors are uh, looking at the possibility for some inflation later this year. Also, U.S. home construction fell in April. Those are some of the stories we're watching. Okay, thank you very much. Let's turn things over back to...
It is time for Regional Ag Weather Update. The man to do the job is Paul Perkins, who is now back in the studio. And, well, Paul, as we look at the radar right now, you and I are seeing uh, little splotches of rain. Yeah, a little bit of light rain in north-central Kansas towards the Phillipsburg area just to the south of town. Probably just some very light showers or some sprinkles right now from just south of Curtis to around the Arapahoe area, right to near Almina, Kansas. This light rain lifting off towards the north and northeast. Uh, temperatures luckily pretty nice despite the cloud cover. For the most part, we're in the low to mid-60s across the area. And I suppose the theme, not only today, but for most of the rest of this week, is uh, random spots of rain. Exactly. Uh, next couple of days going to be fairly, fairly unsettled, but we will see a bit of a break in the moisture chances uh, Thursday into Friday. Then as the weekend heads in, as we head into the weekend, we will see some increasing chances for some thunderstorms. Mm. But it doesn't look to be too big of a rain event either way for tomorrow or as we head towards the weekend. How about severe storms? Probably, I wouldn't doubt if we see some uh, chances for some severe weather this weekend because those temperatures are going to start warming up to around 80. And mm-hmm. anytime you get that moisture and heat in there, uh, that chance for some thunderstorms and especially some severe activity does increase. But over the next few days, it's looking pretty quiet for any severe weather. Okay. We'll definitely take that part of it. Uh, <laughs> we'll also take today as the seasonal temperatures. Exactly. Very nice temperatures right now on into the 60s. We did see some very welcome relaying it. Welcome rain over northeast Colorado into west central Nebraska and northwest Kansas. Up to three and a quarter inches of rain falling in the last 24 hours towards Ray, Colorado. An inch 85 towards Colby, an inch and a third in the Goodland, Kansas area. And those areas have been dry. We did see an inch 40 fall in the last 24 hours at North Platte. A half inch to about an inch in and around the Imperial area. In central Nebraska, some light rain amounts and up to 20 hundreds falling in the Aurora area. We will see cloudy skies for the most part today. Those temperatures staying on the seasonal side. Some rain and thunderstorms are possible for today through tonight as we see some low pressure approach the region. Those thunderstorm chances increase likely to likely for tomorrow as that low tracks through the plains. Diminishing rain chances expected later tomorrow night on into Thursday as that low departs. Most of the rain totals expected to be on the light side right between a tenth to a half inch. Thursday through Friday night should be mainly dry, but a spotty thunderstorm still does remain possible. Our daytime highs for Thursday through Monday really starting to warm up to 5 to 10 degrees warmer than average. A lot of locations seeing those highs up around 80 as we head towards the weekend. Thunderstorm chances increase just a little bit for the weekend as another wave of low pressure does lift north through the plains. That low not going to tap into a lot of gulf moisture, so rain totals should be mostly light. For the long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures likely for Nebraska and Kansas for Sunday all the way through Memorial Day. So if you're looking for a, a good summer weekend to kick off the summer, we're going to get it for Memorial Day. The higher chance of above normal temperatures coming for early next week in central Nebraska. Late May daytime highs usually in the mid to upper 70s with average overnight lows in the low 50s. Nebraska and Kansas rainfall for Sunday through Memorial Day likely to be near normal to slightly above normal. Soil temperatures four inches down at seven this morning. As warm as the low 60s from the tri cities on into southeast Nebraska and central and east areas of Kansas, all of the other soil temperatures in the upper 50s. Key weather factors in the markets include varying rain chances in the central U.S. and only limited rain forecasting in the winter corn areas of Brazil. Heavy rain, a threat for much of the week across the south-central U.S. Additional rainfall in eastern Texas could reach 4 to 8 inches and lead to widespread flooding. The second half of the week, increasingly rainy weather could result in 1 to 2 inches of rain from the 
the Northern Rockies through the Northern Plains into the Upper Great Lakes. That's definitely some good news for them. Could be resulting in some limited drought relief. Much cooler weather will accompany that precipitation in the northern U.S. while hot weather starts to build into the eastern third of the country. Light to moderate rain will occur over the drier areas of the western Midwest the next seven days. The drier weather towards the eastern Midwest favoring the progress of planting. Brazil's winter corn areas expect a wide difference in rain chances. South central areas will see moderate to locally heavy rain the next seven days. Mato Grosso, though, is dry with above to much above normal temperatures in their forecast. Any benefits to the drought-stressed winter corn in Brazil will be marginal due to the wide difference in the rain chances. Central Argentina expects a return of light to moderate rain the rest of the week, causing some disruption to their harvest after favorable conditions for progress during the past week. Now it would just be nice if these clouds moved away so we could see the sun and really warm things up. Yeah, and get that germination going because they're starting to see some corn pop up. Okay, all right, very good. Uh, For your full weather forecast, uh, where can you find that? Weather page, krvn.com. All right, thank you, Paul. School is officially out at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, but the spring of 2021 was a really busy one. And today we are recapping the spring semester with IANR Vice President and Vice Chancellor Mike Bame. Mike, give us some of the highlights of this last semester here. Yeah, you know, I just kind of break the year into like 90-day sessions and it's been packed. We just, you know, quietly keep keep our feet moving, roll up our sleeves, uh, be safe, and, and keep moving. So um, we're really thrilled uh, to have been able to welcome Greg Eyeball back from his gig the last three years as undersecretary um, at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, Greg is serving as our inaugural undersecretary in residence here at the Institute. Um, Greg is uh, both a a former director of the Nebraska Department of Agriculture um, and also a producer here in Nebraska. So um, there's, he knows Nebraska agriculture inside out. He knows the people here. He knows how we operate, but he also has a a pretty uh, significant Rolodex, uh, well-connected in Washington, D.C., in some key areas for us. Uh, And then, uh, you know, we had a chance, as I mentioned briefly, um, Representative uh, Don Bacon of the 2nd District was uh, interested in learning more. He sits on the House Agriculture Committee and then also on the USDA Oversight Committee. And Congressman Bacon uh, had a chance to visit with our colleagues from um, the tribal community colleges, Wayne State, Northeast Community College, and and then uh, Larry Gosen, the dean of NCTA, came up and had a chance to visit with the congressman about something um, that we launched back in 2019 called the Northeast Nebraska Agriculture and Natural Resources Education Compact. That's a mouth, mouthful, but Alex, what it really means is that um, we brought our public school districts together with our two-year and four-year educational programs and really put the student and her success right there in the middle for uh, all of us to think about how we could enhance her success, his success, their success, and remove barriers on the way. And then from there, Congressman Bacon uh, and his team uh, visited a couple of ranches um, between Norfolk and ended up at the Goodmanson Sandhills Laboratory and we had an opportunity to engage him 
uh, for about four hours. And that's a great segue. You were talking about those research centers, and there were some new ones that were launched. Tell us a little bit more about these. Yeah, there were two um, centers that were uh, approved by both the uh, Board of Regents, uh, and then from the Board of Regents, it has to go to a state statewide commission called the Nebraska uh, Higher Education Coordinating Commission. The two centers that got launched uh, this last 90 days, one is called the Center for Ag Profitability. Uh, and then the, the second uh, center is called the Center for Resilience in Agricultural Working Landscapes. Uh, it is now open for business. They they just put in a uh, $10 million five-year grant um, looking at resilience, uh, which is really the quality of a natural ecosystem to uh, take a hit, get pushed around, and then bounce back. All right. Sounds like you guys wrapped up the, the spring semester. Awfully busy. Thanks so much, Mike. That again is Mike Bame joining us. He is the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources Vice President and Vice Chancellor. I'm Alex Wojcicki from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks. Well, it continues to be a busy day for high school sports. District golf will wrap up across the state today. Class A state soccer championships will be decided in Class A. Omaha South takes on Lincoln Southwest for the boys' title at 8. In the girls' match, Miller North, who went into the tournament, is the number 8 seed. They'll take on Gretna for the championship at 5. Last night in the Class B boys' semis, Lexington knocked off Mount Michael one to nothing as Freddie Vargas had the lone goal for the Minutemen. Galvin flips it into the box. Vargas spins. Got two guys in front of him, and he'll roll it in. Freddie Vargas fights through two defenders. He barely got his right toe on it, and it slowly crosses the line and empty net goal. It will count. Head coach Jess McCarg says that was a big-time play. It had to have been the slowest goal in soccer history, um, but, uh, you know, a goal's a goal. I felt like we should have probably scored five or six at some point, uh, so it felt good to get the one, uh, and then after it just kind of opened up, and I felt like we kept coming. Uh, should have scored another one or two there late, um, but the guys, the guys responded well. That victory moves Lexington into the state final for the first time in program history. They will take on Omaha Scud in the Class B final tomorrow at 8. Scud is the only team to have beaten Lexington this year. We will bring you that match on Cami Country and at krvn.com. State High School Baseball Tournament also continues today as they'll try to dodge raindrops. And the NSAA State Track and Field Championships get underway tomorrow with action in Classes A and D starting at 9. And former Nebraska head baseball coach Dave Van Horn is having a very good spring. Arkansas's streak as a consensus number one team in college baseball has now reached six weeks. The Razorbacks are closing in on their first SEC regular season title since 2004. The Razorbacks are 9-0 in conference series. That includes 6-0 in deciding third games after winning two out of three at Tennessee over the weekend. Oh, if he would have just stayed in Lincoln. That is a look at sports. For more, you can find that anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jordanson. It is time for midday news. News director Dave Schroeder has stepped in, and uh, some 
big news in terms of uh, a candidate now running for legislature. Yeah, well, we started off early this morning with an announcement of candidacy for Nebraska legislature for District 36 in the legislature, which includes uh, Custer and uh, Dawson County and uh, part of uh, northern Buffalo County. Uh, Callaway rancher and entrepreneur Jim Jenkins is announcing that he will seek the District 36 legislative seat in 2022. Of course, current State Senator Matt Williams is not able to run again because of term limits. Jenkins has 35 years of experience in agriculture and food-related industries. Uh, he currently manages his family ranching and cattle feeding business near Callaway, and is also one of the uh, owners of the Skeeter Barnes restaurant in Kearney. He has spent uh, the past several months talking to citizens about concerns, issues, and priorities. And he says, if elected, he looks forward to working closely with the talented people in the district. He decided to announce early to give himself more of an opportunity to meet and discuss the issues with as many people around the district as possible. And again, uh, Callaway rancher Jim Jenkins announcing his candidacy for Nebraska legislature. Kirk Riley, president and CEO of Waypoint Bank in Cozad, was selected as a chair of the Nebraska Bankers Association during the association's recent annual meeting. He says financial literacy education to youth is among his top goals in the coming year. He says Nebraska bankers believe that financial literacy is one of the most important skills that youth and adults alike should possess. He says that through those efforts, the Bankers Association is hopeful, too, that more students would consider a career in banking. A former Tyson employee in Emporia, Kansas, faces sentencing in July after admitting that he defrauded the company of more than $416,000. Federal prosecutors say David Ranger used company cards to transfer funds into his personal accounts while he was working as plant maintenance manager in Emporia. He also created a fictitious company and claimed the company was providing services to Tyson. Prosecutors say he used the money from the scheme to pay his personal expenses. In Sedgwick County, Kansas, authorities say a three-year-old boy has died after being accidentally run over by a truck driven by a family member. The Sedgwick County Sheriff Jeff Easter says officers responding to a home in Goddard last evening found the boy dead at the scene. The boy was outside with his father and three other children when he stopped to change his shoes, which were on the wrong feet. The driver was moving the vehicle to hook it to a trailer and didn't see the child sitting there. Easter says the investigation will continue, but the death appears to be a horrible accident. President Joe Biden is turning the spotlight on the electric vehicle future as he envisions for the United States, both as a way to tackle climate change and to create what he says will be good-paying green jobs. Biden is going to tour the Ford's Electric Vehicle Center today, the company's new factory in Dearborn, Michigan. He's visiting a day before Ford is expected to release details of an all-electric version of his F-150 pickup truck called Lightning. That's an update of the latest in news. I'm Dave Schroeder. As we continue to cruise with renewable fuels, we check in with the National Corn Growers Association. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. 
I caught up with John Doggett, who is CEO of the National Corn Growers Association, as we talked about this important time right now for the ethanol industry. As folks talk climate change and the need for renewal out of Washington, D.C. and beyond, Doggett said that ethanol has always been there. Well, I think that the the news is that uh, uh, as the country and and as the world wants to go to uh, uh, using less and less carbon in moving uh, ourselves around, we already have a product that can do that, and and that's ethanol. Uh, It is a low-carb fuel, and it's getting more and more efficient all the time, and certainly something that uh, we think has a lot of potential in years to come. So what type of work has to be done to get that word across in Washington, D.C., about all the benefits of ethanol? You know, I think it's not just Washington, D.C. Very definitely the the move towards electric cars is coming from consumers who think they want electric cars, and it's coming from car companies uh, that are looking ways to market new products. But really, when, when you sit down and look at the ability that we have today with the 235 million uh, cars on the road that are using internal combustion engines that are accessing 165,000 gas stations around the country. We have the in- infrastructure in place. The products are in place. The ethanol is in place. Uh, we're there today. Uh, we can, you know, there is no way we we are going to have all electric vehicles on the roadways uh, anytime in the next several decades. Uh, we have com- internal combustion engines and have had for. Uh, over a hundred years, we're going to continue to do that. But we can also fuel those those engines with a low carbon fuel, and that's ethanol. You talk about uh, low carbon. What percentage, and and what does that mean when you look at the fuel for for a consumer out there? Sure. And the recent Argon study that was released uh, earlier this month showed that ethanol has fifty percent of the carbon that that gasoline has. So already we're doing twice as well as, as gasoline. We, we are going to continue to do even better than that. And the more space we have in that fuel tank, uh, the better we are going to uh, be treating the environment. And I would like to think about the economic boost that it, that has given to so many rural communities over the years. Well, certainly, you know, the, the, the renewable fuel standard has taken the plywood off of uh, storefronts across middle part of America. And that's, that's something that we can all be proud of. Uh, we can be proud that uh, the nation's uh, farmers and the nation's ethanol producers stepped up to the plate uh, the beginning part of this, this century and said, you know what, we're going to be part of the effort to, uh, to make sure that energy is, we are self-sufficient in energy in this country. We did that. Uh, we, we met the, the, the need that was there, uh, and we responded. We have another need now, and that is to reduce the carbon in the atmosphere. And again, farmers in the ethanol industry are poised to be part of the solution. States like Iowa, for example, I know that Governor Reynolds is is doing a big push for E15 to be mandated statewide. Well, I think the biggest problem is is that the petroleum industry continues to fight us, whether it's on the national level or on the state level. Uh, All of these E15 bills are being pushed back by uh, the petroleum industry, uh, and you know, it's a, they have a lot of money and they have a lot of political power and they're using that to push back against D15 and, and any other, um, effort to go ahead and increase the amount of ethanol in the fuel tank. Does it, does it alarm you when we have states like Illinois, which is very much rooted in agriculture, just recently passed a bill, the Illinois hazardous materials workforce training act that could have a hindrance on the, on the ethanol industry? 
Well, again, I think that's that's just showing the the um, ability that the petroleum industry has to reach into um, state legislatures and and to influence uh, their decision making process. And uh, while we have grassroots, they have money, and and uh, you know that's going to be a fight that's going to be ongoing. But uh, very definitely, uh, petroleum is flexing its muscle because they see that they're going to have significant problems in Washington D.C. So they're taking the fight to the state capitals. So what should corn growers be doing? What steps should they be making to get the word out and talk about its importance? I think, you know, the, the thing that we need to remember is that nobody wants, nobody is interested in solving our problems, but they're certainly interested in us helping them solve theirs. Again, we have a low carbon uh, fuel that is good for the environment. It's good for the economy. It's good for farmers. It's good for rural communities. All of these things are out there right now. We can do these things. Uh, we just have to continue to press forward and show the good things that we are doing uh, and that we can solve somebody else's problems. And when we can go ahead and, and say to consumers, hey, look, if you want to go ahead and reduce the amount of carbon you're emitting in your, your vehicle, fill up with E15 today. I'm out on the East Coast now, and, and just the, the, I finally was able to, uh, to fill the car up with gas last night. Uh, but, you know, uh, everybody I talk to is planning to, to go someplace this summer. Right? So a great time, he said, to fuel up at the tank and fuel up those boats as well with ethanol. We are cruising with renewable fuels this month. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. With the business report for Tuesday, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks have been mixed today, moving between small gains and losses as investors remain focused on the possibility for more inflation later this year, as well as the economic recovery as the coronavirus pandemic comes to a close. Walmart rose 4% after the giant retailer's earnings beat estimates as online shopping grew sharply. U.S. home construction fell a surprisingly sharp 9.5% in April, with analysts attributing part of the decline to builders holding back on starting new construction because of a surge in lumber prices and other supply constraints. The Commerce Department says the April decline left construction at a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 1.57 million units. That was down from a rate of 1.73 million units in March. Home Depot continues to fill the needs of the surging housing market during the pandemic. With fiscal first quarter sales soaring and blowing past Wall Street's expectations, the Atlanta-based company's sales rose 32.7% to $37.5 billion. Analysts polled by Zach's investment research were calling for $34.88 billion. The U.S. average retail price for regular gasoline rose to $3.03 a gallon on Monday. That's up 6.7 cents from a week ago, based on the weekly price survey by the U.S. Energy Information Administration. AAA Nebraska reports the average price of a gallon of unleaded regular in the state is $3.04, up 5.8 cents from a week ago. President Joe Biden was scheduled to visit Ford's electric vehicle center in Michigan today. Ford plans to produce an all-electric version of its F-150 pickup truck. Some companies are looking to Biden's giant infrastructure proposal to help transform the automotive sector as electric vehicles shift from a luxury niche to mainstream America. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. 
the FNBO's Fridays in the Field is underway. Be listening for farm broadcasters all across the state of Nebraska to feature different farmers as they work to grow this 2021 crop. This is Chad Moyer, and for Fridays in the Field from Northeast Nebraska, we'll be following organic farmer Aaron Zimmerman. He raises corn, beans, and food-grade field peas, uses various types of livestock manure as fertilizer, and also has a field drain tile installation business. Listen for updates from Pierce, Nebraska, on this year's Fridays in the Field. Hi, this is Susan Littlefield. We'll be headed south of the Platte River into Polk County, where I'll catch up with Jim Camrath. It's a multi-generational opportunity to learn how sometimes being a smaller size farm brings some big ideas in raising crops. Tune in every Friday afternoon and on our social media pages as well for the FNBO's Great Big Small Bank Fridays in the Field. It is the Winter Week Tour 2021. Clay Patton on the World Radio Network. It's been cool. It's been wet. That means wheat disease is something we all need to be very aware of on this tour. To learn more about what we could be seeing and what Kansas wheat growers are currently seeing, we talked with K-State's Dr. Kelsey Onofre. She is a wheat extension disease specialist. And Dr. Onofre, thank you for the time here. First, give us an overview. What are some of the diseases we could be seeing in the wheat fields the next couple days? Two of the big ones that will probably come up are the rusts. So first is stripe rust. So that's one that looks very orange on the leaves and it forms in stripes. And it really is favored under these very cool wet conditions that we've been having recently. So that'll be popping up in that central part of Kansas, south central and southeast corner. But there will be stripe rust present even when we get into the the northwest part of the state. So that should be something that we'll find pretty easily throughout Kansas. Again, leaf rust, another rust, a little darker on the leaves, more brown than orange, will also be present in some fields, although conditions haven't quite been as good for leaf rust, so it might be a little harder to find on the tour. In terms of viral diseases, the one that's really been showing up is called wheat streak mosaic virus. This causes a streaking on the leaves, and it's vectored when the tiny wheat curl mite bites the wheat plant. And this we've been seeing in in very high levels, uh, much higher than average, and much farther east than average. So we're seeing this as far east as Salina and down into that south central part of the state. When we find wheat streak mosaics, sometimes we'll typically find volunteer that that wheat streak mosaic is surviving in. So that's those are just a few of the, the top diseases to really keep an eye out for on this tour. Let's look back at 2020. What were some of the top diseases and what impact did they have on the 2020 growing season and the overall crop? In order, the, the diseases that caused the most yield loss were stripe rust, leaf rust, and then Fusarium head blight, one I didn't mention before, but one that's infecting wheat now as we speak because we're in that flowering window. And then pan spot, that's one I didn't mention as well. And then also wheat streak mosaic. So those are kind of the 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 top yield robbers in 2020. Now 2020 was just an average yield loss year. So overall we we saw about 27 million bushels lost, which falls right around the average for those diseases. But this year we might be ticking a little higher than that just because of this very wet, conducive weather we've been having. Let's talk about it from the extension side. If a producer is listening to our program and they say, hey, I've got a question about something in my field. It's something I haven't seen before, unsure about it. How can they work with the plant pathology lab at K-State to help better identify and work a treatment method? 
Absolutely. So you can always reach out directly to me. My email address is uh, Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N-K at KSU.edu. You can find me on Twitter at KSU Wheat Disease. And we also have a plant disease diagnostic clinic. So if it's something in the field that we're unsure of, we test for several viruses and also these fungal diseases. And then we can work with you directly to try to talk through some treatment options. Before we close up our interview, final closing thoughts or any information you think is important to our conversation? Oh, I would say just just remember that the local extension agent has lots of information and they would be the first person to go to to try to identify some of these diseases, especially if you're unsure about which diseases you have. That is Dr. Kelsey Onofrey. She is the Wheat Disease Extension Specialist with K-State presenting here just before we go out on the 2021 Winter Wheat Tour. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. Good afternoon as we take a look at the market trade. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And, of course, take a look at what happened in these grain markets today as they wrap up with John Payne. He's the senior marketing analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, the soybeans, they kind of took a downward trend today, John. Yeah, it was a messy day, but um not really sure what, what the price action was driven by. You know, we crushed reports yesterday where they were slightly negative. Um, you know, your guess is as good as mine as far as why we're, you know, 15 off the highs and, and almost a dime off the low in the new crop as well. Uh, weather has to be a little concerning here, just giving me the moisture that, that's come up through the center part of the country. But that's, uh, you know, that's a conversation and a trade for another day. Right now, I think you look at wheat prices falling uh, pretty good here, and I think that's been one reason why we've been a little bit on the offer midday. But uh, pretty good close on corn. I, I, I anticipate a higher trade tonight given the China butt. Did that come as a surprise to you with another per- big purchase like that coming out of China? Not really. I mean, I think at this point in time, their prices being high are, are the indicator. You know, if their prices start to, to fall substantially, and obviously, you know, you look for, for them not to be in our markets. But, you know, as soon as they started to roll some of those shipments last week, I think the expectations that they were going to be hot and heavy in for this crop. And, uh, you know, I, I would be reminiscent to think that, that this thing is done going up or down, going up yet, just given that they're continuing to buy and they don't have any uh, licenses to import South American crops. So, you know, they're going to be competing with Mexico. They're going to be competing with a lot of our export partners here this summer, uh, along with folks using it. And at this point in time, I think you're in delivery or we're through the post delivery trade in May. The market's got a little bit of premium that, that it can kind of, or discount itself from the cash. But I think in the long run here, you're going to see July back above $7 again. And I think a big part of that's predicated on a wheat turnaround. Uh, right now, we haven't seen Egypt buy. And I think if you're, if you're kind of looking to see what's going to happen in the wheat market, you want to wake up every morning and check and see if Egypt's offering anything uh, as far as uh, tenders. And because those prices are going to reflect where the real global market is, and, and uh, we haven't seen them buy. And they've been kind of holding off and hoping for lower prices. So when they jump in, the market will be very concerned. And I think, you know, you look at $7 Chicago wheat here, I think that's a, a good, you know, good opportunity here in the September contract. And, and then in the case of uh, Minneapolis wheat, I think there's some value there as well. It's high protein starts to come back into vogue. So, um, you know, I look for 7 to hold here on that contract and, and you know, trade weather in the next couple of weeks. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much, John. Joining us today, John Payne with Daniels Ag Marketing. You can learn more at them at danielsagmarketing.com. And just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss, not suitable to all investors. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Thank you very much, Susan. That'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. Catch the Midday podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors wherever podcasts are available or krvn.com.